I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. Hey there, Paul here, and welcome to episode 74 of the pros.com translation and interpreting podcast. Today, I'm talking with Cole Wright. We're going to be talking about getting started in the industry, and we're also going to be talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning, a fascinating subject that's coming up in just a second. First of all, as we come to the end of 2022, I'd like you to just take a moment to think about your plans for 2023 and and consider whether those plans include pros.com membership because right right now we have a very special offer for pros.com membership if you'd like to check it out then head on over to the website pros.com of course and and find out how you might be able to turn $120 into $4658 If you'd like to find out more about how you might be able to do that, then pros.com is the place to go. So we've got some amazing membership and training offers for a very limited time only at pros.com. Okay, well, let's get started with Cole. Cole Wright is an early career freelance translator and interpreter, primarily working from French and German to English. He's a recent graduate in translation and interpreting from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey and a newly ATA certified translator for French to English. Cole is a science and technology specialist with a strong interest in AI and the ways it will impact those just starting out in the industry today before their careers are through. Cole, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, Cole, because I know you've got a a unique perspective on what it's like to get started in this industry because you've uh, you yourself have started fairly recently. So, talk us through um, talk us through a little bit about your career to this this to date and 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 what you've studied and everything else, please, Cole. All right. So I think like many of us in the industry, I got my start as just a a language nerd. I followed that passion to a degree at uh, Kansas State University in in French and German, which are my two uh, source languages now. And I, uh, yeah, I just majored in the language specifically. No extra specialization, no idea about translation yet. Uh, I spent time in France and Germany and I was aiming towards um, just continuing in academia, becoming a, a linguistics professor of some type. Okay. Yep. And uh, eventually I pivoted to translation and interpretation because it seemed uh, a little bit more secure and also it's more practical. You can like, you can get in there and use the language uh, rather than just um, sort of abstracting. All right. Well, take, take us through... Um... Take us through the, the, the timeline then. So uh, when did you yeah, graduate? So I, yeah, I, so I graduated from that in 2020. Okay. And then I did a two-year master's degree at the Middlebury Institute in Monterey, California. And uh, that's where I studied translation and interpretation 
for real. Yes. And yes. Uh, just started my uh, freelancing basically uh, a few months before graduation this May of this year. Brilliant. Brilliant. So this is sort of something that's been going on for what well, you've been working this field now for sort of six to nine months. That's about the time frame. That's about right. right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So yeah, I am really looking forward to hearing your perspective on this. So, so obviously at Middlebury, you had some, uh, some great professors, some, some, some great colleagues. And, uh, is that, is that where you started to find out about how to, how to get work in the field? Yes, absolutely. Um, anytime the question was asked, like, is there anything else you'd like us to elaborate on? I always was asking about the business aspects because I find that that is absolutely indispensable. Yep. Um, yep. It's sort of a, a side skill that is hard to teach in a class. You sort of have to ask questions as they come up and develop a sort of generalized skill for it. So okay. uh, having access to those experts uh, and their experience was very indispensable. Now, how did you get your, your first job or your first couple of jobs, Carl? Um, well, those actually did come through that program. Uh, there's a, uh, an internship program between the two years where I was an intern for an agency based out of Montreal. Yep. And, uh, after I finished that, they continued to send me some freelance projects, French to English every so often. Uh, so those are my first ones. And the next I found through, uh, prospecting, uh, on, on LinkedIn, for example, just, applying to things and eventually some of them replied back and some of the people uh, who I've met during that time have gone on to be uh, some of my favorite clients to work with. Okay, excellent. And where are you now in terms of building up a client base? Uh, do you have you, you have some regular clients? You're still looking for more clients? What, what sort of position are you in at the moment? Uh, yes, I think everybody's always looking for clients. There's, I mean, no matter how established you are, there's some amount of churn there. Totally. Um, yeah, but I have a couple of clients who I've been working on steadily, working with steadily on a monthly basis, uh, about the same volume every month, and others who have been one-off projects, or it's one project and then three months later, I get another one. So I'm basically always looking just in case there's a slow month, but um, sometimes that backfires and I find myself extremely busy. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, it sounds sounds to me, Cole, as though you've made uh, quite an electric start, I think. You've uh, certainly, you know, um, made things happen. You've been prospecting on LinkedIn. You've obviously, um, you know, cultivated, uh, nurtured a number of different con- con- contacts. You've You've asked people the right questions, and I think that's led you to to some work. So, so congratulations for that. What what I'm really interested in capturing from you right now is what someone in your position who's been in the industry for six months, what you think about it in general, what you think's great about it. Are there any negatives about it? Where do you see your career over the next you know ten, twenty, thirty years? Now, I know that's a really big question. It's, Kind of several questions in, in one, but just just let's start to talk about that, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the industry is so varied, given its global nature, that it's hard to make any any judgments about it. 
uh, what I can say about my little niche is uh, when it comes to freelancing, of course, everyone loves the absolute freedom of that, but it comes with its drawbacks of, um, you know, you can be busy to the point where you have to work till midnight for a week to turn in these urgent projects. Um, And it feels like, you know, not having clients is the least of my concerns, but you still know in the back of your head, this could all disappear next month. So that's not the, not my favorite aspect of freelancing, but I feel like it is outweighed by the positives. So I really, I, I'm happy with this career choice. Uh, I think it is the best thing for me as somebody who loves using language, um, and loves potentially having the freedom to travel more. I think that's something that all of us who are into language, uh, love by default yeah absolutely absolutely and you also come into the come into the profession at a, at a very interesting time in terms of technology growth okay so now um with all of the the, the technological advances with ai with mt etc cetera, etc cetera, how do you feel about about that how do you think that is going to influence your your progress now and well now and in the years ahead yeah so i've thought a lot about this because one way or another i have to get 50 years out of this industry so (laughs) i have to be uh keeping up with whatever is happening and embracing new technology um so i've i've been noticing um we're kind of hitting a turning point in a few other industries such as art Um, where a lot of really important questions are being asked. And I think that we as translators have something to learn from the conversations going on around uh, things like Stable Diffusion, Dolly, uh, Midjourney. And at at some point, if you're entering the industry today, you have to confront the myth of progress, which is the idea that, um, of course, those of us... uh, who were born uh, in the 90s or even the 2000s have grown up in a world where for the last 100 years, everything has been pretty steadily improving mm-hmm. uh, technologically. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to just assume that this is how things will always go. Things will always improve. Um, but it's not inevitable. Advancement is not inevitable. Uh, but I say that with an asterisk. Um, it may be that AI systems cannot improve much more beyond their current form, but we have to act as if they will. And at the same time, um, we cannot simply believe that they will improve in one way and that that way cannot be changed. Um, yep. We don't there's, know. There's a, hmm? We don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like imagine if I was retiring today and instead entering the industry in 1970, yeah. uh, I would never have been able to imagine some of the empty applications that we have today there. We didn't yes. even have cat tools. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that, that uh, unknown, that unknown makes it, makes it somewhat difficult to plan a, a career, um, over decades. And that's why you, I guess you if you go in with the attitude of, of that sort of, um, Embrace was a, a word that you used. You know, embrace different technologies that that, that come up, or or perhaps uh, adapting to different situations. Then I think um, there's always going to be the need for for skilled 
linguists. Um, right. You but Cole, to, I wanted to pick up just on something you said. You, you, so you mentioned the parallel with with art. Could you just expand on that? You mentioned a couple of a, a couple of terms there, or a couple of situations. Could you just expand on that a second, please? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I can cite a few examples for this, but I think uh, most of the lessons to draw here are related to how AI is created by people at the end of the day, and its role in society is also decided by people. Um, for example, we see examples uh, such as OpenAI, a company uh, that is based in the US and created a new denomination uh, called a capped profit company uh, so that they could get nonprofit benefits, but at the same time take venture capital. And this was not challenged. Um, other items that have not been challenged have been uh, seen very much with this bloom of art uh, AI engines recently, or image generators, as they're sometimes called. The, the term art is a bit dicey here. Um, but things yeah. like Stable Diffusion, Midjourney, Dolly um, have basically taken artists' work uh, without consent. And not only that, but they've found all kinds of things in the data set, including like medical records, uh, people's likenesses, uh, everything. And they've used this uh, to train this engine. And then it is used to create uh, images for profit. Um, and this was all done without any consent or anything. But there's another one called Dance Diffusion, which it creates music. And that one, because the music industry is much more litigious, generally, yeah, um, they have taken great care to not put any copyrighted material into their training data. And so we see this huge difference between how these different uh, fields are being treated by the creators of AI engines. Uh, there has actually been a class action lawsuit in the US for uh, against GitHub, which is a platform uh, for coding. And uh, they were training their AI on code that was posted in forums to help software developers. And now they're being sued for that. Uh, there's another example of uh, public backlash, not so litigious, uh, but DeviantArt, which is an online hub for visual art, um, they rolled out this program uh, for where they would put all the art on the site into an AI, uh, and it was opt-out. But after enormous public backlash, they changed it to being opt-in. Now, not all of this is appl applicable to us one-to-one, -one, because as translators, we often... Uh, don't have authorship rights. Uh, and that's that's the, the state of the industry. But we can learn something from this when it comes to viewing progress as a monolith that um, will that is not aware of its context that is just always advancing. Um, it is being rolled out by humans. Its role in society is being determined by humans. And uh, everything is negotiable. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. So, so certainly in terms of, so in terms of that sort of, uh, AI and, and, and machine learning, one of, one of the big, um, questions or one of the big uh, factors is what inputs are, are being used by any kind of machine and, and does someone have the right to use those inputs? Um, so yeah, that's starting, starting to sound pretty similar to, uh, <laughs> to machine translation engines, right? So mm -hmm. 
Um, obviously, the I think a lot of well, a lot of the a lot of the MT engines, if you if you use the free engines online, then that they they are then um, that text is then sort of added to the database, right? In many cases, right. So. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, how, so how do you feel? How do you feel that is going to um, af- affect your career? Other than to say, okay, well, obviously you don't know the the trajectory of of this development. I I, I like the fact that you pointed out that um, we have been accustomed to a certain degree or rate of change or rate of advancement, and that's not necessarily going to continue. I thought that was interesting, and I think that's a very valid point because it it might get to a level. Where it just it, it just kind of stalls for for for, for right. quite some time, and this is something that's uh, been hit by some AIs that write code is that they've run out of viable training data, and of course the internet is always expanding. Yeah, uh, yeah. However, for now they simply don't have enough data to provide quality results, and I think we can see this in some uh, translation engines as well. For example. Um, of course, we know that DeepL is uh, linked with Lingue, the dictionary function. Yeah. And when you look on there, you can see their segments that they're taking things from. And you can often, you'll often notice that some of those segments are themselves machine translated or perhaps translated by a, a very unskilled human translator, but I would doubt it in some of these cases. Yeah, yeah. So, so there are training data issues all around. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so that so the data, the data going into MT is not, I mean, not to, not necessarily for any one particular provider, but just in general, it's possible that the data is not human generated, but actually machine generated that is going into a mach- uh, going back into an engine, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a distinct possibility, especially. And, and the, the issue will also be run into by uh, smaller languages, especially those with very small written corpus, corpora. Uh, there simply won't be enough training data to create a viable MT engine. Um, you can see this with uh, some engines that are for uh, minority languages in Africa, Asia, even some, there are even some MT engines that uh, claim to work with Native American languages, but uh, their output is widely judged as uh, as unviable. Okay, so and and going back to your so going back to your situation, so you work uh, you work from French and German, is that right? Into English, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's very good data available for those for those language pairs. How how do you how do you feel that's going to affect that part of your translation work? Yeah. So this is where those of us at the beginnings of our careers actually have a little of a little advantage because we have time to specialize. I think we can, uh, by specializing in very high stakes work, like, uh, certified translations, legal, medical, uh, marketing texts, a lot of the things that we might be doing already, um, we can protect ourselves from, uh, absolute replacement. Uh, which is what a lot of our well-meaning family members uh, seem to think is going to hit us any day. Um, when you are working with a text that has stakes like that attached to it, uh, I think it's hard to imagine somebody would entrust 
a machine without having it looked at by a human capable of, of understanding. Uh, because the, and when I say understanding, I mean, I mean that in, in the per se sense, uh, these machines do not understand things. They, they have patterns yeah. that they recognize. Uh, but there, there's a very interesting video on YouTube by the channel uh, Computer File, I think, where they trick an image recognition AI in a very interesting way. Uh, they take a picture of a TV remote control and they just add like a yellow pixel here, a red one here, to the point where you and I can absolutely see it is a remote control, maybe a little grainy. Uh, but suddenly the machine identifies it as a coffee mug. Okay. But you yeah, and I could, yeah, could yeah. see no hint of a coffee mug, not yeah. in the pattern of the pixels, yeah. nothing. They do the same thing with a giraffe becoming a cat. And it goes to show that whatever patterns the machines see are not the same ones that we do. And when it comes to language, it's all about understanding the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And how do you personally feel about uh, post-editing work, Cole? I think um, it's definitely not preferable for uh, text with a lot of uh, artistic uh, merit, such as literature. Uh, but for other things, it can save you time as long as you have a very keen eye. And also, I think that you, you need to learn translation the traditional way first. Mm -hmm. I think if yep. you if you get into it using like an MT plugin, for example, I think you're going to be too lenient. Um, you're not going to you're going to say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But it's it's not always about making sense. It's not always about what does it say, but what should it say. And I think in learning translation the traditional way, and then maybe applying your skills to post editing with a very sharp eye, um, you can, you can use that technique. But I, there are some texts that I still would not even I would not let the machine give me something to work with. Yeah, because I, I would have to change it too much, you know, but that could change in, in 10 years. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Cole, you're, you're obviously a very smart guy and you've obviously thought a lot about this, uh, these AI, um, these AI considerations. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting to talk to you about it. So how uh, do you, is there a way, and uh, going back to that word embrace, is, is there something else that you have thought about doing? Because it seems to me you've got a very good grasp of, of the way things might be going. And, and on the one hand, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued um, to listen to your development as a translator. So obviously, you know, you're very qualified, and now you've you've got your 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 first uh, the first six months of of work under your belt, and you're you're building up, and you're you're out there getting clients. And I think that's I think that's great. But I I also I can also sort of imagine there's part of you that's that's thinking something completely different. Am I am I wrong on that or or not? Uh, you mean different in the sense of a backup plan? Well, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily a backup plan. More of, um, you know, I you, you clearly spend some time looking at this from a different angle. Is it? Have you thought, for example, that you could, I don't know, work as some kind of um, consultant in this area, or do you do you envision, for example, using AI in a certain in a certain way, not necessarily as as direct as. Um, you know, machine translation, but within the, within the languages industry, it's just you seem to have an interesting take on it. That's why that's why I ask. And I mean, you might not have an answer, but I am. I'm just interested as to 
as to whether you've, you know, how much time you, you put into thinking about this. You've obviously got your career path mapped out, but, but I also think that AI part of it might be an important component for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, it's almost impossible to imagine exactly how things will go here, whether things will continue to improve at the rate we see now, whether it will be exponentially faster or not. Um, what I can say is uh, I think we who are starting now have to be open to evolving with the industry. And as the industry evolves, it's going to need us. Um, yeah. Even if in the future there aren't as many places, as many positions for translators, uh, they will still need translation experts. And those of us who are starting now, who have excellent translation skills, who know what these algorithms can and can't do, and who have our whole careers ahead of us to further evolve and specialize, I think, yes, we need to be open to uh, to to uh, going with it wherever it goes. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, because, of course, there's a, there's a whole bunch of... Um, I was going to say job titles, but more like careers, um, career paths. There's a whole bunch of them that weren't there 20, 20 years ago. Right. So I like, I like your use of the term translation expert. So that's kind of a term that, that yeah, when I've heard of it or even used it before, it, it means to me, you know, someone who's a, a very good translator, but actually, as I'm listening to you say it, it, it conjures up a, a different image, which is uh, well. Yeah. Of course, I think you need to. I, I think it would be a significant boon to anybody aiming for for um, this prediction um, that they they would have those skills. And as we saw recently um, in the EU, they evaluated DeepL for uh, for legal purposes, and their result was that sometimes it is good enough to fool you, even if, especially if you don't understand the source language, but you have to understand both languages at a very high level to, to know if you're being fooled or not. And I yeah. think we're yeah. always going to need expert examiners, no matter what happens, even if AIs can understand in the way that I mentioned earlier, eventually, even if they get to that point where they can have a sort of consciousness and they can uh, not only recycle previous translations, but think about things like we can, we're still going to need a human yeah. expert examiner. Yeah. But it's not, it's, but it's not just in, 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 in language, in pure language terms. It's also, as you mentioned, in terms of understanding what the machine can and can't do, understanding what a machine would do or AI would do with a certain type of text. It's all, it's that kind of level of understanding, which I find, interesting and right. makes me think that there is another almost another career out there which is yeah yeah a translation expert but also you know with a very high let's say a very high ability to carry out translation to perform translation work but also someone who has a, a complete understanding of what's happening on different platforms i i think that's that that strikes me as an area that might be um i mean first of all you know very interesting and and, and, and second, there might be some, some growth there. Um, as you said, people will always need, will always need those, those experts because it, it can't, these things can't, won't happen automatically 
all the time. So if you're if you're highly skilled and you understand how the whole um, the whole sort of ecosystem works, I think that makes um, for a very you know I think that makes that person particularly valuable in in the market. So. Right, and maybe this won't happen. You know, maybe there will be some sort of asymptote when it comes to the improvement rate, and uh, maybe you know statistical models of AI came before these neural models, but maybe. There's not another one after the neural models. They're inspired by our brains. I wonder if yeah, we have yeah. another source of inspiration. You know, maybe things won't keep getting better at this rate. And in that case, I'm sure we would all love to just keep translating, typing away for the yep. next 50 years. Yeah. But um, if that's not the case, then I think we need to be ready for it. Very good. Very good. Cole, I think, yeah, I think I need to give you some kind of prize. You're definitely the first person to use the word asymptote on this. <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast yeah god that takes me back to maths class that's been a while uh. yeah oh brilliant brilliant all right well very very interesting cole there was just one other topic which is uh, uh very different that i wanted to to discuss with you which is that you're obviously based in the u.s you live in the u.s you're from the u.s and you translate into english from french and german right is that correct mm-hmm. so um, how do you go about, I mean, what's, what's the market like in terms of into English and into French and into German and, and, and how does your location affect how you, how you personally look for into English clients? Right. So it's obviously not optimal for me to still be here and I would love to move to Europe in the future. Uh, but for the short term, it's not in the cards for me, uh, for right now, maybe in a few years. Yep. Um, so in this interim period, I'm uh, basically prospecting for clients as well as I can from over here. And a lot of that has to do with um, inserting myself into online spaces, hanging out in, in forums, making friends over there, uh, you know, just sort of being, being a very online individual already helps me with this. I think I'm pretty comfortable uh, just hanging out on the computer a lot, but... Um, I've managed to find some pretty lucrative online spaces um, and always um, making contacts within the industry in the yep. other country is always helpful. Uh, I have a couple of contacts I know in France and Germany who sometimes just like people contact me saying, oh, you're a French translator. Can you t- translate this into French, please? Um, I send it, you know, I refer it. And the same thing happens over there. People hear they're an English translator. They send them something. Uh, so just sort of, you can be present in spaces, uh, without being in person sometimes if it, of yeah, course yeah, it's yeah. better to be there in yeah. person, of yeah. course, but, um, one of the very few good things to come out of the pandemic, I suppose, was, um, the bloom in, uh, online networks uh, yep. that you can make use of. So you, you feel very comfortable networking online. You feel comfortable making new contacts and friends and, and that's led you to to this type of uh, this type of sort of arrangement where you help each other out, basically. Yeah, essentially, um, I'm yeah I'm fairly comfortable here. It would be better to be over there for sure, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. for now this is working. So can you, so do you, you you still do get a client local clients from the US as well? Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah, um, certainly uh, not as numerous, but whenever they do come they're pretty thankful to find somebody who goes into English because yeah, the, yeah. the industry in the U S is so 
based on out of English that um, sometimes they have a hard time locating us. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, so you're um, you're going into um, different online platforms and, and and networking. Do you do anything? Um, others anything specific on social media? Do you have your own website? Um, any other online activities that you're you're doing? Uh, yes, nothing too fancy at this point with my website, although I do have one, uh, colwright.com. Um, but I, yeah, I worked with a graphic designer recently to um, to work on my online presence to give me some. Uh, she created a logo for me, which is very useful. Um, yeah business cards in three languages, which I was able to give out at the American Translators Association conference. Um, the, the same colors are present, you know, all over my, my online uh, persona. And uh, that has helped a lot, I think. Otherwise, um, yeah, simply uh, be everywhere you can be that, make, that it makes sense to be. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, well, thanks so much, Cole. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And um, you've got a yeah, really interesting perspective. It certainly got me thinking about AI. And um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to, to hear the thoughts of, of someone who's recently started in the industry as well and all your positivity and all the great things you've done so far. So, Cole, a big thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot, Cole. All right. Thanks. Take care. All the best.